Welcome into the Warehouse, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles and Major League Baseball. The Warehouse is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome into the warehouse. I'm joined tonight by my colleagues, uh, Matt Corey and our new co-host, Dr. Stefan Loflis. I'm excited to talk to both of them. But first, a word from our sponsor, Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One, their third-generation family business established in 1959. They're located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster. They're the oldest floor-covering store in Carroll County and one of Maryland's longest-running flooring businesses. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. So, Stephen, excited to have you as a part of the show. Thank you for taking the uh, time to join us. You've been excellent to the site the last couple of years with just really outstanding uh, uh, draft coverage. But uh, excited to have you overall. Uh, if you could just share some some of your background uh, for the listeners, that'd be great. Yeah, sure thing. And first of all, thank you all for having me um, on the show. I greatly appreciate it. So, um by profession, I'm a college stats professor teaching statistics at a Sweetbriar College, but I've been writing about baseball since, well, since I was a grad student in 2013 um, at Beyond the Box Score, got a little uh, work at Fangraph, some of my stuff presented at like um, Society of American Baseball Researchers conferences. And I was very fortunate that uh, my work came to the attention of the Tampa Bay Rays, and I spent a little time there in their front office working as an analyst in baseball research and development, working on with them on the draft model, which is what started my research on that. And so once I decided to uh, return to academia, let's say, I decided to take that interest back with me since um, there's not as much of the draft from an analytical point of view because of, I mean, there's just a vast amount of data that's out there that you have to collect. It can be quite intimidating at sometimes. It takes me a lot of time to gather that data. But... Um, since then, um, I've been fortunate enough to, again, work here at Baltimore Sports and Life doing the draft uh, coverage. And I will say, I just booted up the model a couple days ago to start in the 2021 stuff. So um, going to be a long road to July, but I'm really looking forward to it. Well, uh, again, we're lucky to have you. And it's not a prerequisite, but you are an Orioles fan. Uh, oh, goodness, yes. Goodness, yes. <laughs> so we, we've got two of them on the show. So we're, 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 in, we're in good shape there. Uh, so we'll just jump right into it uh, tonight. Uh, Dakota has the Orioles at uh, 66 wins. Fangraphs has the Orioles at 63. Obviously, we know the Orioles aren't competing in 21. Uh, what are we looking to see accomplished? Matt, you had a great article today at the site kind of uh, outlining this. What, what were your general thoughts there? I think you can summarize the article. You know, it's a thousand words. Um, and uh, I think you could summarize it into probably two words if you really wanted to. Player development. Um, that can happen at the major league level. Um I outlined specific players in the article. Um, you can quibble with, uh, you know, with which ones I picked, um, and that's fine. There's probably some that I didn't mention, and probably you know maybe one or two that I shouldn't have. Uh, but um, I think that's the major focus: is turning the guys um, on the major league roster into better players or into other players who can impact the 
the major league roster down the line. So that's the major league roster. The minor league roster or the minor league, uh, you know, system, um, you know, the Orioles have a bunch of top 100 prospects. They, I think they have five uh, of the top 100 via Baseball America and Baseball Prospectus. I think it's the same five. They're ranked in different spots, obviously. but um, And those guys are really going to be the focus of everything that happens, you know, Norfolk to Aberdeen um, and all stops in between and, and on either end. So uh, I think that is, you know, the big, um, you know, the big focus. It It's not, um, sadly, still not winning uh, at the major league level, um, but there are steps being taken to, you know, to get to that point. And I think this is, um, you know, th- that's part of it. Steven, in particular, what are you looking to see this year? Development is 100% it. I mean, I had a few specifics like, you know, you'd like to see Rutschman in AAA, hopefully by the end. Um, you know, you want to sort out that kind of middle class of pitchers, you know, Bauman, Kramer, Aiken, you know, figure out where, you know, which ones are really in line for that next Orioles contender. And a couple other players similar to that, you know, Santander, is he going to stick around? find a place for Mount Castle's bat. And ideally some of those just outside the top hundred guys, Gunner, you know, those guys, types of guys, hopefully moving into the fringes or even with a big year moving into, you know, the eighties, seventies range, if they can really just kind of hit. And Steven, where, for you, where, where do you feel the Orioles are in their rebuilding process as uh, 21 begins? That, that's a tough one. Cause I mean, so there's all the comparisons to the Astros for the obvious reasons. But I went back and took a look at the Astros before 2012, before that first Carlos Correa number one pick in the draft. And there was a surprising amount of, while not top tier, useful major league future talent in their system, which actually was drafted by um, Bobby Heck, who was a a coworker of mine with the Rays, actually. Um, And they used that talent to just make so many smart trades and develop those players. And I don't know if our system had quite that much talent before the bottoming out. So really this year, next year, you know, maybe next year we get into the upper seventies, maybe break 500. 2023 is that kind of Astros 2015 year where you start trading players out, you know, not necessarily stars, but I mean, you know, the Astros picked up your Evan Gaddis types, you know, that mid-tier player, and then really going for honest-to-goodness contender, I would say in 2024 around that range, but maybe 2023 if we luck out a bit. And and Matt, as you uh, kind of look at things kind of big picture-wise, where do you feel the Orioles are at this point? Yeah, I, I, I agree with Steven. I mean, I, I think it's, it's really hard to to say exactly for a couple reasons. One is, you know, Elias just hasn't been on the job that long. Um, and the other is, you know, the COVID year that we had last year just ate into a huge amount of development time. And I think, you know, it hurt every team, but I think it hurt teams like the Orioles that were just trying to, trying to dig out of the bottom, you know, the most. Um, and so you just, it's, it's really hard to look at, you know, their, their system and, you know, figure out which guys need to, I mean, you know, the, the five guys I mentioned before obviously need to, to step forward um, more than they even have. But, you know, beyond that, what do they have? It's, it's harder to say. Um, I do think that they've made, you know, significant progress 
you know, since Elias took over, um, you know, with, with those players that, that I mentioned before, that said, um, you know, Keith Law just came out with his rankings at the athletic and, and the, he has the Orioles system at 18 and that's, you know, that's one guy, you know, but he talks to a lot of people. Um, so even if you, uh, you know, take that as a generalized ranking, it's still not great. It's not where the Orioles want to be. Um, you know, I, I, and then you look at, you know, the major league roster, you know, and, and fan came out and said, well, whatever it was 65 wins or something like that. And so the, you know, the talent is not where you want it to be in the minor leagues. It's not where you want it to be in the major leagues. Um, and then on top of that, not to be Debbie Downer here, but you know, the Orioles haven't shown that they're going to spend money. Um, you know, the, the whole thing about deferring arbitration salaries over multiple years is pretty frightening. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what that says about, you know, <laughs> about their long-term financial uh, situation. Um, probably nothing good, maybe nothing bad, but, but certainly nothing good. Um, you know, the one thing I would say is that they have gotten involved in the international markets, you know, for players. And I think, yeah, <laughs> Stephen is, uh, is thanking, um, someone who lives upstairs. Um, and, uh, so I think that, uh, that's, you know, that's a, a really good step and, and a good sign in addition to being a good step, even if they're not able, able to, you know, turn those guys into impact major leaguers at first, um, it, it at least indicates that they're that they're trying and that they're you know exploring all obvious avenues to do that. So I don't know if I answered the question, Chris. I, I think it's it's kind of all over the place. It's certainly better than it was a couple of years ago, but I think there is a long way to go uh, still. I, I have confidence that Elias, um, you know, can get the organization there if he's given time and financial resources to do it. Um, and you know, that's maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but I think you actually discussed that in your piece about, um, you know, the Astros book, which, which, um, you know, we're going to talk about later, but you know, that time finding that time, it's not just hiring the right people, but it's letting them implement their programs. And that takes time and you have to back the heck off as the owner. Um, and, and, you know, so we're waiting to see on that one. No, I think you both raised a lot of uh, quality points. I feel I might be uh, a little more optimistic overall where where I feel the Orioles are, uh, but I don't necessarily think you're wrong either. Uh, um, you know, for, for me, the, the optimism really does start with the Elias hire, which I feel was uh, something that the Angelo sons uh, – shows as a differentiator from their their father who i don't believe their father would have ever made that hire um so there's pushback from that among uh many orioles fans uh not that they aren't optimistic or about elias directly but uh that the angelo sons were involved with the organization for a long time in some executive capacity and there hasn't been enough determination from fans to believe necessarily that things are going to operate differently under them. I'm taking kind of a good faith measure that, you know, I, I think that's a, a direct sign. The international efforts, which, you know, the Orioles have lagged behind for 20, 
25 plus years. I mean, just, you know, just getting involved there. I mean, that's a big deal <laughs> that uh, uh, I just don't think could be understated enough. And then timeline wise, uh, my optimism right now is that I don't feel the Orioles need to hit on everybody to fairly quickly ascend. And I think they are building a, a good amount of depth. And what I really like is that that they cleared out the payroll. And I think they have the ability to uh, here in 21 and then the first half of 22 really start to ascend internal talent, evaluate further, and then go out and augment uh either through trade or through free agency to, uh, you know, really contend. And I'm, you know, I actually, I'm fairly excited about the prospects in the second half of 22, the, the team that they can uh, potentially put out there. But uh, a number of things we still have to look forward to in 21, number of steps that have to be evaluated. And you guys, you know, Matt, you hit on them in your article and Stephen kind of highlighted a number of them uh, in his previous answers. So as you said, Matt, it does lead into uh into our show outline, I sent you guys where I sent you a previous article where I had reviewed uh, Astro Ball, and I didn't get to talk to you guys to see if you guys had read uh, had read the book previously or if you're just seeing my review. But either way, um, to me, what's interesting now is kind of going back and looking at my own review. I I feel like oh, we're seeing several of these steps incrementally <laughs> kind of being ticked off. And one of them right now is that I feel uh, that was in Astro Ball was the idea of, um, well, I'll let you guys give thoughts and, and, and then I'll react. But uh, Matt, what were your general takes? Again, not knowing if you read the book or, or you just saw uh, uh, my review there. Yeah, I didn't, I haven't read the book. Um, I'm, reading uh barack obama's book and it is i think 14 million pages um <laughs> and uh so i sit down to read it and then uh four pages later my eyes close and uh so it's slow going is what i'm saying i think it's a good book but it's it's uh, i'm not a fast reader um as for you know the the review i you know i i thought that uh there's a lot of good ideas you know that you outlined in in the review which i assume came from the book um, you know, the one thing that really stood out to me is you talked about, um, always hitting on 16 when the dealer has a seven, I'm not a blackjack guy. I know very little, I mean, I, you know, I know what blackjack is and I have a basic idea, you know, but the, you know, the, the complicated math behind it is, is probably something Steven can speak to more than me. Um, but I do know that, you know, if, you know, if the numbers are in your favor, even if it's only slightly, you know, then if you make the right call every time based on that, you know, you may not succeed in any individual instance, but over time you will make, you know, in this case, the baseball team better. You'll improve the talent base in the organization. You know, I think that's what Heim Bloom is trying to do right now with the Red Sox. Um, you know, I think that's what Mike Elias is doing with, um, with the Orioles. And, you know, if you, if you stick to that, even when it sucks, you know, even when there's going to be blowback, you know, and we've talked about Trey Mancini before, and I think this is, that's going to be an interesting, um, you know, test case. Um, you know, you could say Bloom passed it yesterday when he traded Benintendi. Um, 
you know, that there's been blowback on that. People didn't like it in Boston. <laughs> Fans didn't care for that. But, you know, you're in, in, in his case, he's improving the team. And, you know, you live with that because um, it makes the team better. And every deal needs to make the team a little bit better. And ultimately, you're going to win. And then they'll like you. I think that's it's also it's also not uh, having the mindset that you're going to make every correct decision. Right. But it's it's that you're going to stick to your process and through that process that you believe that you'll uh, more often than not make uh, make enough correct decisions that incrementally you'll have improvement. Uh, Stephen, don't remember. Same thing. Didn't get to talk to you to see if you had read the book prior or or just saw that review, but what were your uh, general takeaways there? I unfortunately haven't read the book either, but I had seen uh, your article when it came out, as well as many other articles that illustrated some of those several ideas, not necessarily Oriole specific, obviously, but the ideas behind the book. And yes, I'm a, I'm a statistician. I'm a big believer in the idea of expected value and long run correct decision making. But that's the thing. It's long run. And there's going to have to be patience, mainly on the people who are ultimately making the ultimate decision, namely the owners, of course. And they have to have that appetite for patience, for decision making as necessary. So we'll see if that's going to happen. But both that idea of not only looking at the expected value, but the growth mindset, not only for players, but for the front office is rather interesting. Like the front office is in a good place at the moment. I went and looked today just from an analytical point of view, and there's eight analysts in the front office, five in baseball ops, three scouting analysts, but we got a ways to go. I mean, when I left the Rays in 2017, we had eight analysts. Today, they've got 16 people who are either listed as analysts, scouting analysts, or a director, assistant director of department who were analysts when I was there. We are four years behind the Rays in terms of manpower within an analytical perspective. And that's a huge gap, both in terms of time and manpower with the rate at which baseball data is growing, analyzed, and how much can be done, especially from a player development perspective. There is more of that um, analytical player development that Elias brought from Houston that has become the norm for many teams. So while progress is being made, we have to keep on going on that long run and hopefully there is that appetite for that long run point of view. And we'll see if it, if it manages, if we make enough right decisions and get lucky enough, there is always luck involved, but it's hard to argue that they're not on the right general path at least. A couple interesting thoughts there. One uh, to go down that path just for a second and we can kind of come back to the larger argument uh, with the Rays or anything you know of the Orioles, did did you guys contract out uh, to third parties? Because I know the the Ket uh, uh, baseball operations department they had contracted out to like Trackman and Ari Kaplan, I believe, is doing uh, some third party analysis for them. Did, was that a common uh, thing for the Rays, or was everything in house? Uh-uh. I mean, consultants are all, almost always brought in by most teams. I don't believe in my time that we had consultants at that point, but consultants are pretty much the norm. I mean, 
I mean, that's how a lot of people get started. I mean, I know one guy that I wrote with at Beyond the Box Score seven years ago who um, was at the time also when he left a consultant for the Milwaukee Brewers. The guy was in high school and he's now, you know, gone through grad, graduated high school, graduated undergrad, and he's now a full-time analyst um, with another major league team. So consultants are pretty much the norm and it's, they can attack a wide variety of problems. Um, I've had the opportunity, you know, some teams have reached out to me about some of the stuff that I do from the draft. You know, it can be across a wide variety of problems depending on the person's availability, their expertise, and how much the um, the team has in-house available. A large department like the Rays probably has less need to consult um, others or to contract out. So as the Orioles grow, hopefully they're able to get more of this work done in-house. Yeah, interesting thoughts there. We'll, we'll tap back into more of that in, in subsequent episodes, kind of go down more of that path. But for uh, going back to this specific question, I, I guess for me, and the, the reason I posed this in the outline was uh, one of the things I had said in my takeaways from the Astro Ball was that uh, one of the topics was the idea of negativity is coming. And at some point the Astros experienced this and I feel – I feel it's kind of hit the Orioles fan base this uh, this winter, you know, just what I see anecdotally, which is, all right, well, we're a few years into this process. Where's the end <laughs> and how long does it go? Now, I was somebody that, that uh, during the Orioles, uh, really for me, the dark days of 1998 through 2011, where every year was kind of a, they had broken legs and they're trying to fix them with band-aids. I was like, can you please just rebuild correctly and, and, and tear down and build versus trying to each year, just try and piecemeal with the hope that maybe this be the year we reach 500. So I'm, I was really excited for this process to begin. So I maybe came from a biased standpoint. There are a lot of people that are not thrilled with rebuilding, uh, overall and now a few years into it hey where are the results but as you guys have both talked about this is a process that it does you don't just flip the switch it, it, you know you're building the house from the ground up right and this is going to going to take some time so my expectation is that this year we're going to see another 90 plus losses and we're going to see a number of think pieces uh everywhere and and a number of uh of uh uh, fans themselves would be like start to really question the question the process but uh again as you guys have alluded to and spoke to steps are being made uh towards uh completing the house but it is going to be a process i see matt you, you had some thoughts there no uh, no no no, no. no okay. i was making fun of myself you you were talking about think oh. pieces uh about uh how the process is broken and i was like I, yeah i'm right here <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. I think, I think the fans, you know, like we see the process and we recognize where the process can end. They've seen the Astros, they've seen the Cubs, but also more recently, they've also seen, you know, right up the road, the Phillies, and they bottomed out for a short bit in, you know, 2013 to 2017, a few losing seasons. The thought was, you know, my, hire Matt Clintech, and then suddenly they spin big on Arietta Harper, Real Muto. And that hasn't exactly worked out. So I think there might be just a little trepidation about, well, 
you know, bottoming out in this way is no guarantee to actually having it work. And, you know, fans like guarantees. So I think there just might be a little worry there behind that as well. Well, it's a good point there on some of the trepidation. Uh, but spring training is upon us next week when we talk. The Orioles will be uh, will have arrived in Sarasota. So uh, that's something to enjoy, especially here in Baltimore uh, this past week where we've had a, a bit of snow. So I will be enjoying at least vicariously living through the players as they arrive in sunny Sarasota uh, and starting to think about warmer days ahead. Uh, we'll get to plenty of Orioles talk in the coming uh, weeks, but uh, let's go ahead and just pivot kind of to the larger baseball scene and uh, the rich get richer Bauer to the Dodgers. Of course, they also get uh Price returning this year. Uh, so how do you guys handicap the NL West race between them and uh, the Padres, who uh, obviously are also further on the ascent, and uh, they've made their own additions this offseason? And I'll let uh, Stephen, I'll let you start there. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a lot closer than any any previous year for the Dodgers, at least in recent memory, no question. So much of this hinges in my mind, and this is an odd thing to say for you know a 36, 37-year-old, can the Dodgers re-sign Justin Turner? Because there's a pretty big gap between him and the next replacement guy. I mean, Edwin Rios, we're talking, you know, a two and a half win gap, basically, by all projections. And that can uh, you know, that can be a little that can be a hole in the Dodgers lineup. And when you have someone as hard charging as the as the uh, Padres are right now. You can't have that much uh, of a gap there on that end of things. So questions there. And what can price bring? And I mean, heck, where does Dustin May fit in all this? I mean, he's getting squeezed out of rotation spot. You know, like there are questions there, but the Padres also have the questions of, you know, how does, you know, they're talking about stretching Snell out and, you know, you can go back to the World Series and all the questions of him getting pulled early and all that. So, um, you know, the Rays had a bit of a quicker hook on Snell. And as he gets stretched out, is he going to get worse? Can he still be that Cy Young sort of guy rather than, you know, a, you know, no question, n- number two type of starter, but is he a Cy Young ace? With Justin Turner, I think I'd give the Dodgers a 70% chance. Right now, Fangrass has them at about you know, 60, 63%, which without Turner sounds about right. So we'll see where it kind of falls once the free agent market has uh, finished up a bit. And Matt, how about yourself? How do you see that race? Uh, yeah, I actually kind of like the Padres a little bit better. Um, I, I think their lineup is better. Um, you know, the Justin Turner thing definitely helps my argument. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I think they, you know, they've got some, uh, you know, some, some really, uh, you know, top flight talent that, that can get better as opposed to, you know, I think we've seen, um, you know, what we're going to see from, uh, you know, from, from a lot of the Dodgers, uh, you know, hitters, um, and you know the depth of the starting rotation in San Diego is pretty good. I don't think they have anyone who's quite on the you know on the level of uh, Walker Bueller or Clayton Kershaw when he's healthy. But but they have you know they have a lot of depth um, up and down the the rotation as do the Dodgers too. So I mean you know they're both they're both really good. I you know I think we're we're probably splitting hairs. And on top of that, you know. 
certainly the um, the Padres will go out and make some moves midseason. I can't imagine that this is the way that AJ Preller is going to finish the year. He's going to add three other starters and you know six other outfielders or whatever. Um, so you know when it gets to be uh, the trade deadline season, that's uh, you know things will things will change a little bit there. But um, but right now I would lead I would lead San Diego just just by just by a little bit, which I know yeah. goes against what the what the projections uh, are saying. Uh, the one thing I think pointing in your favor, maybe Matt, is that uh, the Dodgers did get their ring, and it's always uh, tough. And, and they've had a they've had this very long run, and San Diego is on the ascent, and. Uh, uh, you know, maybe they'll be a little bit hungry, uh, hungrier, but who knows? We'll see how that uh, plays out, but it'll be fun watching that race. Uh, let's talk about MLB and the Players Association. They uh, set their 21 protocols. Uh, uh, Matt, kind of, you know, just general takeaways there. Uh, no DH in the National League. That didn't get approved. Yeah, that was uh, that was the thing, I guess. Uh, I mean, I get it. Um you know, a lot of people were saying that it's something the players should really want. Uh, you know, it, it does keep some older players maybe in the game a slightly, you know, slightly longer, but uh, it, it's not making the uh, making the roster bigger. So you're not actually adding more players. So I don't think it's necessarily a huge advantage for the players. It's it's a minor one. You know, DHs make more than whoever's the last guy in the bullpen. That's really the you know the comparison, I guess. Um, I absolutely hate seven inning double headers and runners starting at second base it's arbitrary and dumb and hurts my brain um yeah i i can't stand that and you know i got it last year this year the fact that it's here again it's like you know we're supposedly playing a full season this year um and you know that's i guess debatable but if you if you're really concerned about, you know, limiting time at the ballpark or protecting players from, you know, well, first of all, if you're really concerned about protecting players from COVID, then there's obvious other ways to handle this. Um, but, it, you know, if if that's your, you know, your goal is to minimize it without actually solving the problem, then why not just have a time limit on games? You know, three, three hours, three and a half hours, four hours, whatever that is. And then where, you know, wherever you are at that point, if the, you know, you revert to the previous inning, if it's not finished yet. Um, I mean, there's ways to do that. I don't know. It's like, why, you know, why not start with a guy on third or start with two runners on second and they run in opposite directions and someone's got to wear a clown suit and what <laughs> to, to your larger point there, Matt, I mean, obviously some of these moves we were sold on last summer with the idea that it was a, uh, a shortened truncated season in the middle of a pandemic. And obviously the pandemic is still with us, but as you said, we're trying to play a, a full season and some of these rules uh, remain. So uh, I, I guess uh, they must've done enough research to believe that these were, liked enough uh and because uh, it i was a little surprised to see that steven what, what were your thoughts um 
I also don't like the uh, runner on second base. I'll just leave that, uh, Matt. You covered that well enough. Um, Thank you. I don't. I say I don't mind the seven inning doubleheaders. It's not ideal, but you know, just when you're having to compress this stuff, if they're trying to get 162 games in, sure, whatever. But really, the interesting things were the, um, you know, no universal DH. The what seems to be non-expanded at least for the moment playoffs. Just the fact. That just sets the stage for the 2021 CBA. That's going to be negotiated there. They're going to be talking that it's going to be a fight. Hopefully we have baseball in 2022 because there's a lot of mistrust on both sides on that one. But just the fact that they weren't able to agree on those two points just to me sets the stage that, you know, enjoy 2021, 2022 baseball might be pushed back a touch because of that. And it's gotten that had me worried a little bit. Well, it's a fantastic point that, that they weren't able to negotiate that out and everything has to be negotiated at this point and that the two sides are acrimonious. Uh, so, yeah, something to watch for the next CBA, uh, something that they'll negotiate on both both sides there. Let's enjoy baseball while, while we have it right now. Uh, and bigger picture, Wise Fangraphs had their article, their uh, takeaways on their own playoff odds. We mentioned that they had the Orioles at 63 wins. Uh, we talked a little bit about the uh, National League West race. Uh, Steven, just general takeaways on, on uh, the opening playoff odds from uh, Fangraphs. Oh, boy, the AL East. Um, that's going to be interesting. I mean, heck, the defending AL champion is projected fourth. And, yes, they I say, I mean, the Rays made a lot of trades, but – they have so many pitchers that could throw a hundred innings. And I mean, I know the guys in that front office and they are willing to do all sorts of things, especially from a rotation point of view, they can milk value out of just about anywhere. It seems, especially from pitchers. So I could see them way over and as a, and fan admitted, they might even be underselling the Rays because of that sort of thing. Um, but I could see them well up playing those projections and, Red Sox seem like a really high variability team. I would at least a bare minimum probably had the Red Sox a tick below the Rays. But other than that, that was my biggest takeaway, just seeing those playoff odds, how much depth there was in the AL East and how little there was in a few other places. The NL Central comes to mind on that one. And Matt, how about, how about you? Let you finish things off tonight. Uh, well, there's a, there's a couple – um, you know, first the Orioles, uh, second to last, you know, the pirates have worked hard this off season, um, at making their team worse and they have, uh, succeeded. I think they look wretched. So a lot to be excited about there in Pittsburgh. I hope Sidney Crosby doesn't get hurt. Um, yeah. Cause otherwise you don't have anything. That was that joke. Um, you know, so the, or you got the Orioles in, uh, you know, the Phillies, uh, Phillies, man, 80 wins. They brought back Real Muto. They brought in Dave Dombrowski, who is the ultimate win now guy. You know, we talked about him before, I think, on the podcast. And that's just such a weird fit. And of course, he gave Real Muto a bunch of money. And um, they're not, they're just not going anywhere. And they don't have a farm system for him to raid. So I just don't see that going anywhere good um and you know the angels i think is the other thing the angels look like they could make the playoffs mike trout in the playoffs how about that that would be a thing uh, the best baseball player in the playoffs 
certainly would be a boon for uh, baseball as a whole uh, to have him in there. And uh, I guess Stephen, going back to the previous question, I, I still think there's a chance we see the playoffs expanded for this year, but we'll we'll see oh. how, how that uh, shakes out. I guess it was this past year, I believe it was as the uh, on opening day, I believe they they announced that the field had expanded. So. Uh, uh, well, you don't need to know bit. until the very end of the year, right? <laughs> All those last second trade deadline negotiations. Right. So that was our first episode for new host, uh, Dr. Stephen Loveless. You were great. Appreciate it. Thank you for uh, joining. Matt, great as always. Come and join us at the board, BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Uh, Orioles and MLB, uh, plenty of uh, things to discuss there. Come and join us. And my thanks, and have a good night, and we'll talk again soon.